0: Hello again, welcome to another episode of the Uranium Market Minute. Today is Monday, July 11th, and this is episode number 150. My name is Justin Hewn. I'm your host. I'm the founder and publisher of the Uranium Insider Pro Newsletter. The only investing newsletter that focuses solely on uranium and publishes on a regular monthly basis. As always, nothing that you see or hear in this podcast is intended to be investing advice. I'm not your financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Please always do your own due diligence when it comes to investing and always take responsibility for your own choices. All right. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend. Um, Looks like a a pretty slow start to the week in terms of the markets. Um, Not a whole lot happening out there in terms of volume. Relatively weak market today leading up to the CPI numbers on Wednesday, PPI, and Thursday. And of course, the market is waiting with bated breath on those numbers. I want to first thank you for uh, supporting me in these first 150 episodes of this podcast. This has been a wonderful experience. Um, I really do appreciate this platform and I thank all of you for listening and for watching. Um, truly from the bottom, uh, bottom of my heart, uh, means a lot to be able to speak with all of you about something that I care passionately about, which is nuclear energy. And of course, uh, the uranium investing thesis. And I have a, a gem for you in the mailbag section I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit more in terms of, um, enrichment and uranium, especially with overfeeding versus underfeeding and what, uh, the actual nuclear fuel consultants are messaging to the nuclear industry currently in terms of enrichment availability and the implications for overfeeding. Uh, Before we do that, going to run through the charts really quickly. Like I said, not much happening there. And uh, first of all, we'll, we'll go right into the daily scoreboard, talk about the spot price of uranium spot and ETF flows. Spot price is down about 50 cents, $47 a pound. Um, quite an inactive market now. Typically, the summertime months are quite inactive. Generally speaking, not only for the uranium equities, but also for the uranium industry and the, and the spot market. Um, typically, uh, you know, there's there's pretty strong seasonality that happens for uranium stocks, and that um, that's an average, of course. That doesn't happen every year. Uh, they're typically seasonally weak during the summer. Why is that? The spot market is weak. Uh, seasonally, typically during the summer. Most of the nuclear utilities, fuel buyers are on vacation. They are awaiting uh, a number of elements, which is, um, at least in the United States, the nuclear utilities fiscal year begins October 1. And so there's new budgets. And also there's a number of uh, conferences that happen, nuclear fuel conferences that happen in the fall as well. You have the WNA happening in September. It's happening this year um, in London. And then you have Um, uh, NEI conference that happens a couple months later. And a lot of decisions are made not only around that um, new fiscal year for the United States utilities, but also with all of the information that comes to the nuclear fuel buyers and the utilities during these conferences. So oftentimes the summertime is slow. This year, things could be a little bit different considering uh, what's going on in the nuclear fuel markets, especially with regards to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and the implications of the West's, uh, let's say, voluntary self-sanctioning that is happening with regards of moving away from Russian enrichment because of what is happening in the Ukraine. So that has put a lot of pressure on the enrichment conversion markets, and um, I'm going to talk about what we expect in the uranium markets in the mailbag section. So uh, all of that is to say, Things sometimes can be quiet in the summer, and in terms of spot SPUT flows, we're definitely still waiting for risk to come back on across equities markets, um, and that includes the uranium market. So SPUT, no increase in pounds. They're still sitting, holding 56.9 million total pounds of uranium, 60 million in cash, and uh, they did not raise any new money as they are still trading at a significant discount to their net asset value somewhere around, I think they closed around 9% discount to NAV on Friday. URA, 810,000 share redemptions. Um, uh, This says on Friday. That's not on Friday. Uh, This reporting, most likely share redemptions was probably on Wednesday. We saw Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, pretty high volume selling. Now, Wednesday did mark a bottom for last week, and there was a lot of dip buying that happened that day. But we saw some redemptions reported Uh, that I mentioned on Friday. And that was most likely coming from Tuesday of last week. Either way, 810,000 shares redeemed, 10.9 million in mandated selling that happened that day. No change in outstanding shares for URNM. As we've noted repeatedly that um, URNM seems to have a more stable share count, let's say, compared to URA. I think a lot of that has to do with the volatility that comes to URA due to the options actions. There's a much Uh, deeper and more liquid and more active options market for URA than there is for URNM. And that can lead to increased activity of the underlying uh, security. Joint assets under management for the two ETFs, $2.15 billion, still down over a billion dollars from the high in April of this year, from the April high. That wasn't the high for the ETFs, but um, that's the most recent high. That's a significant drawdown. Most of that has come from depreciation in the price of their underlying holdings not necessarily from changes in the share count all right uh sector action friday was pretty firm but on low volume today we're seeing some weakness um, alongside the weak broad market as i mentioned before on that note let's take a really quick look at the charts before jumping into the mailbag section starting off with ura down three almost three and a half percent on the day volume ticking up a bit over friday friday was extreme low volumes Um, For URA and for most of the sector, uh, really not a whole lot happening here. Volume's ticking up a bit. We're still seeing really significant uh, positive divergence in the RSI, which I believe would have led to a short bounce. We got that short bounce Thursday and Friday of last week, pulling back now with the S&P with most equities across most sectors today. Um, That's likely going to be the case leading up into the CPI and PPI this week. Um, lacking any sector-specific catalyst that could come in during the week. So most likely, we are just bound to the broad markets still and still waiting for that volume to come in to this sector. SPUT traded down significantly today, down 4.89% on the day. Uh, uranium down a little bit as well, but definitely not down 5%. Uh, so we're probably back above that 10% discount to the net asset value for the SPUT vehicle. Presenting a huge um, uh, value proposition here. You buy the spot vehicle, you're buying pounds, probably somewhere around the forty dollar a pound mark. The actual spot price is sitting at forty-seven. This is probably a eleven or twelve percent discount to NAV here. Historically, that is quite large, and as we know, we've been trading at a significant discount to NAV relatively consistently for the past three to four weeks. Um, We've yet to see risk come back on to this vehicle, to this sector, and that is still what we are waiting for. Let's look briefly at Cameco. Cameco down 2.25% on the day, very little volume for Cameco. So just kind of some nothing action, really a nothing day across the sector. Lastly, let's look at URA relative to the S&P. And this uh, showed Further underperformance today relative to the S&P, we're chopping right around that trend line. Is this going to present an undercut low? Will we see some risk coming back on in the uranium market um, or at the very least outperform the S&P on a relative basis? I think that can happen when we don't see big down days, big downdrafts in the broad markets. When we see these air pockets, it tends to take everything with it. But if we have just a relatively choppy S&P, we definitely can and likely will outperform that. Thank you. Thanks to do. Uh, thanks to the relatively strong market for the actual commodity, and the unbelievably positive fundamentals that are becoming more and more well known. Okay. So for the mailbag section, um, you you may or may not be familiar with uh, an entity called UXC. UXC is uh, probably the most prominent uh, nuclear fuel consultant, and they their most of their clientele are the utilities, are the fuel buyers. And utilities globally pay for their premium products. That is the UX Weekly product. That is um, uh, that is a, a quarterly publication that they put out that um, gives finite, uh, final, you know, much more fine detail into their actual modeling, supply and demand modeling, their forecasting, etc. Their forecasting has been um, historically quite conservative. Now, the UX Weekly is is a product that's behind a pain wall. so I can't chain, I, I can't share excuse me, still still fighting off a cold a little bit here. So uh, bear with me. Um, I can't share details from that product because it is behind a paywall and it is copyrighted material. However, um, the founder of UXC, his name is Jeff Combs. He's the owner. He's still the chairman. And uh, Jeff once in a while will publish his thoughts in articles in the UX weekly product. But he also publishes articles in a blog that is not behind the paywall, and the blog is called AdamPeace.org, and I'm going to link to it in the description of the of uh, of the video here of the podcast in the show notes. And I highly suggest you check this out. And this article is the second article down in the blog. This was published, let's see, March 28th of this year, and a lot of what he talks about has only exacerbated since this article was published, and so. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from this article and then kind of share my thoughts on what he's saying and give a little bit more detail on that. I know that a lot of my audience here are retail investors, are, are folks that may not have a deep understanding of the Iranian market. And I'll do my best to kind of break it down into layman's terms. I have discussed in the past the underfeeding versus overfeeding. I'll get into that a little bit here. I try not to geek out too, too much on this. And I highly suggest that you check out this blog post and the articles in this blog in general. Not only do you have articles from, uh, from Mr. Combs, but you also have articles from Jonathan Hins, who also is with UXC. And he, uh, Jonathan, will write most of the time uh, kind of the headline article in the UX Weekly product. But um, even this entity that has been relatively conservative in their, um, in their messaging to the market, in their forecasting, et cetera, um, they're, they're really starting to kind of ring the bell in terms of what they're seeing coming down the pike for uranium. Now, in this article, when they say uranium, they're speaking about not only U308, but also for UF6. UF6 in the industry is known as natural uranium. And um, and, and essentially, it, it has yet to be enriched. So though it's been converted to a gas, the uranium octoxide, the U308, has been converted to a gas uranium hexafluoride, or UF6, it's still natural uranium. It has not been enriched um, to a higher level of the U-235 fissile isotope. That natural uranium is about 0.7%, U-235, and when it gets enriched into um, LEU, low enriched uranium, it gets up to around that 5% level, somewhere between 3.5% to 5%, usually closer to 5% and that really depends on the needs of the individual utility for the individual reactor that they are um, enriching uranium for. Okay, so let's get into this article. So I'm going to skip the first couple of paragraphs. They're kind of introductory. This is a a relatively short post, but there's a lot here. Okay, so uh, Mr. Combs states in paragraph, the fourth paragraph down, and his introduction is just kind of going back to um, d- discussing articles that he's written in the past published in the IAEE energy forum, et cetera, et cetera, talking about enrichment and um, the importance of enrichment. Okay. So he states here, and by the way, this, this is all coming from an article that like I mentioned that I cannot share from the UX weekly uh, paid product, which has to do with kind of the history of the cycles of the price of uranium and how enrichment has influenced those. Okay. So that led to this blog. He states, i believe that the uranium enrichment link is still not well appreciated on the part of investors and perhaps even by some in the nuclear industry now again this is march of this year so this is uh, three months ago Uh, a little bit more than three months ago three and a half months ago so i'm going to repeat that i believe that the uranium enrichment link is still not well appreciated on part of investors or perhaps even by some in the nuclear industry substitution away from uranium by utilities relying more on enrichment Uh, Relying on more enrichment, excuse me, which is in effect a substitution of technology for resources, was one of the reasons that the uranium price rise of 2004 to 2007 was eventually blunted. Moreover, it was a major factor behind the uranium price decline in the post-Fukushima era. So uh, this this is a very interesting point. And I think that, you know what, I'm actually going to go ahead and share my screen of this um, of this article so you guys can read along with me here. Let me do that uh, really quickly here. All right so here we go. This is the, art, the the paragraph I just read here. I believe that uranium enrichment link is still not well appreciated okay so what does he mean here the uranium enrichment link substitution away from uranium by utilities relying on more enrichment was one of the reasons the price rise of 04 to 07 was eventually blunted moreover it was a major factor behind the uranium price decline in the post fukushima era all right so basically what he's saying is that utilities can in many cases seek out and buy enriched uranium straight up from an enricher and skip Buying uranium or UF6. So when, like I mentioned already, when they're saying away from uranium by utilities, relying on more enrichment, they're speaking both to U308 and UF6. So if a utility can go straight to an enricher and buy UP, enriched uranium product, they can skip those steps. And this is something that has been going on for a long time. And to the extent that they're able to do this, they will. So when you have a uh, a condition in the market that suppresses the price of uranium, and uh, you have a demand that is pulling back for enrichment, you have enrichers with m- a lot of excess capacity to enrich. Now, the enrichers, the current technology that is being used globally is uh, a gas centrifuge enrichment it's not uh, the prior technology was gas diffusion and that was much much more energy intensive and much more expensive and so these centrifuges that currently um, spin to separate the uh, ever so slightly different in mass isotopes between the u-235 and u-238 isotopes during the enrichment process these centrifuges spin at very high speeds and they essentially can't shut down or it's very costly and difficult for these centrifuges to stop spinning. So what do they do when they have excess capacity? Um, So they have, let's say a particular centrifuge has just produced the uranium. It could for a utilities contract for EUP, And now they've seen some demand drop off. They have excess capacity. They've got a centrifuge or two up and running. They're they're spinning. They can now uh, do two things they can uh, feed into that centrifuge less UF6 than they normally would under a contract with utility. So let's just say um, they're going to load that centrifuge with more UF6 that is currently spinning for another contract with the utility. Okay, this is gonna be my first example and I'll give you another example of how this creates excess material in the market. So what they can do is essentially They've contracted with the utility to, to provide X amount of UF6, the feedstock for enrichment. And they've done so at an agreed upon TAILS assay. Now, the TAILS assay is the percentage of U2, U235 that will remain in the TAILS material after the enrichment process. And they contract at a certain level of TAILS assay. And so if capacity is lower, or excuse me, if capacity is higher, demand is lower. What they can do is they can put less less UF6 into the centrifuge than they contracted with the utility. So the utility provides a certain amount uh, at a certain tails assay. They will actually underfeed that centrifuge and spin it down to a lower tails assay. So they'll actually uh, use that extra extra capacity to, uh, to take a little bit more energy and a little bit more time and spin it down to a lower tails assay which requires less feedstock to get to that. It's basically one of the greatest um, or kind of more classic examples of uh, kind of an analogy for the enrichment process is squeezing oranges uh, to create orange juice. It's been said a million times. If you've already heard this analogy, I apologize for repeating it. But if you have X amount of oranges and you want to produce orange juice and there's nobody uh, coming up to your, to your orange juice stand or it's really limited traffic to your orange juice stand um, you've got a huge amount of oranges. Uh, you, you're only going to use a certain amount of energy to squeeze lightly to get the orange juice that you need to sell it. But if there's, um, you know, if, if you have extra capacity and you can put more effort into that squeezing process, you can use less oranges to get the same glass of orange juice. Okay, so that's underfeeding. That um, that creates more UF6 into the market, and the enrichers can sell that UF6 back into the market into the spot market. That's one major aspect of secondary supply that has affected this market greatly for the past 10 years. That's the underfeeding process that we are now seeing in real time switch to overfeeding. And we've had um, an entity from URANCO, from an enricher state, they expect that this could lead to a swing of up to 50 million pounds of uranium equivalent in a single year. So secondary supply from underfeeding has been somewhere around 20 million pounds a year. Classically, it's been a little bit less over the past year due to um, an increase in demand. We've seen rising SWU prices. The cost of enrichment has been rising. Demand has been rising coming from the utilities as we re-enter this new contracting cycle for uranium. Okay. So secondary supply had been falling, but now we're saying now we're seeing that is saying that we could see this. Be as much as a 50 million pound swing what does that mean we could see a 20 20 million pound excess supply turn to 30 million pounds of demand 50 million to pound total swing then we've seen the guys from Segra the guys from Station Cove say they expect it more to be 30 you know 30 to 40 40 million either way it's a huge huge swing in um, in demand and so the overfeeding process means The enrichers are seeing massive new demand from Western utilities. Now we're talking about the Western enrichers. And what we're talking about now is a bifurcated market. We're going to see the the Russians, essentially, they can still fulfill contracts to the West for the most part. Um, There's plenty of nuclear utilities in the West that are depending on Russian deliveries of EUP in order to actually operate their reactors. So we've seen uh, there's actually a report that came out today, uh, a piece of news that came out today across the Twitter sphere that... Canada has made an exception to their sanction of Russian material to allow the shipment of EUP from Russia to uh, United States. I believe it is three separate utilities. Okay. So that's still happening, but we're seeing big demand for the Western enrichers from the Western utilities, and that is leading to overfeeding. So what is overfeeding? It's the opposite of underfeeding. It's uh, operating your uh, centrifuges at a higher tails assay. So less energy, less time. You're trying to pump out the end product, the UP, faster because demand is greater. You have to overfeed. If you're going to spin down to, let's say, 5%, um, 5% U235, five percent then you're going to need more UF6 to accomplish that and in less time. Essentially, that's what we're, what we're seeing. So more UF6 demand, that's put a pinch on the UF6 market and conversion markets, of course, And that is a demand for more uranium on the front end. And that also is going to lead to demand for U308 because there's only so much UF6 sitting above ground as mobile inventory. And basically we have heard multiple industry players basically say there is no UF6, okay? So the market for UF6 is extremely tight and now um, we're converting as fast as we can and that's going to put a demand on U308 as well. Okay. That 's overfeeding the second point of secondary supply from enrichers and i 'll finish that i 'll get back to the article so apologize for for the rambling and if you 've heard all this before, um, feel free to just uh, skip skip to the end of the video or just or just end the video entirely but this is mostly about um, uranium demand coming from overfeeding okay so the the second part of secondary supply from enrichers when there's excess capacity is actually re enriching tails material. So whether it's when you're, when you're spinning fresh UF six down to a lower tails assay than what you agreed upon uh, what you agreed to with the utility who contracted that enrichment, that's underfeeding because you need less feedstock. If you have ex- excess capacity in a centrifuge and you're not actively spinning down fresh UF six to fulfill uh, the needs of a utility and create EUP on the out on the on the outside on the as the end product of that process, then you can actually take the tails material that you spun down to let's say 0.2, 0.19% uh, U235, and you can spin it down to 0.17. Um, you can squeeze a little bit more juice out of those orange rinds that have already been squeezed. And that is uh Tails reenrichment. So between tails reenrichment and underfeeding the enrichers have uh, done, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of 25 million pounds on average, every year for the past decade, secondary supply into the market, huge. That's that's uh, MacArthur river and half a cigar lake. Okay. That is almost half of Kazakhstan's production. that comes in the market as secondary supply. That starting now is gone. Okay. And not only is it gone, but the overfeeding is creating new demand to the extent of two cigar lakes, almost, okay? This is, this is huge. This is absolutely huge, this shift, and I can't stress it enough. All right, let's get back to the article. So the last sentence leads to this next paragraph, right? Moreover, it was a major factor. So this um, switch from by utilities to relying on enrichment was a major factor b- behind the uranium price decline in the post-Fukushima era. Once reactor demand fell off following Fukushima, the market was left with considerable excess enrichment capacity. This capacity was of the lower-cost centrifuged variety, since by this time, all the energy-intensive gaseous diffusion enrichment plants had been phased out. Since it is difficult for centrifuge enrichers to cut back on output, the centrifuges need to keep spinning. Enrichment prices dropped while supply availability increased, squeezing out uranium demand. Enrichment prices dropped while supply availability increased, squeezing out uranium demand. Okay, so after Fukushima, Japan shuts off all of its 54 reactors. 10% of the world's demand is shut off overnight. Um, Japan starts selling some inventory into the market. Uranium mines that take an unbelievable amount of time and bureaucratic red tape and capital and uh, hiring that go to go into production remained producing for many years after Fukushima until the price uh, fell back down to a level where uh, they could no longer sustain a lot of these mines. So uh, basically they're saying that part of the reason the price kept dropping after Fukushima was due to this excess capacity coming from enrichers. And I just explained that. So that's the secondary supply coming into the market. Okay. Very cheap SWU. SWU continued to fall basically in a straight line from Fukushima until 2018. SWU leveled out for a month or two here and there, but never, ever started to recover to the upside until 2018. Okay. So seven years of falling SWU. Enrichment was cheap. Enrichment was cheap. UF6 was abundant. U308 demand fell off a cliff over the past decade. And that has only started to rebound. All right. So uh, where are we at? Not only was enrichment substituted for uranium and creating enriched uranium in the first instance, but excess enrichment capacity was also used to enrich tails, tails re-enrichment. I just described that to create additional uranium equivalent supplies, both developments, as well as the work off then existing uranium inventories, greatly reduced the need for newly mined uranium. Uranium prices suffered. All right. So reducing the, the need for newly mined uranium. This is why. Um, Paladin put uh, Langer Heinrich on care and maintenance. This is why Cameco put MacArthur River on care and maintenance, Rabbit Lake on care and maintenance. Cameco shot off all their U.S. projects. You saw capitulation in the uranium resource market. Some of the smart companies in the space were buying up assets 2016, 2017, 2018 finally, we're seeing a rebound here. Okay. So excess capacity led to tails re-enrichment and underfeeding from the enrichers. So you have 25 million pounds a year coming from that alone. Then you have uh, inventories being drawn down. So you had cheap uranium that bolstered uh, utilities inventories in the middle of the last decade. A lot of that came from Kazakhstan. This was prior to Kazatomprom being partially publicly listed. State-owned and um, pumping out uranium into the world as cheap as possible, Um, making a a currency play with a quickly depreciating Tenge. Um, Their labor costs were in Tenge, materials costs were in Tenge, and they sold it in US dollars. They did that for years and years and years. All of that is to say there was a glut of uranium in the previous decade that led to falling prices across the fuel cycle. All right, final paragraphs are key. The uranium enrichment dynamic that was in force following Fukushima is now positioned to operate in reverse. I'm going to repeat that. The uranium enrichment dynamic that was in force following Fukushima is now positioned to operate in reverse. To the extent that utilities move away from Russian enrichment and Russian nuclear fuel in general, there is less enrichment available to substitute for uranium in the West. Okay. What does that mean? That means that right now, Right now, we are in an inflection point, okay? What is an inflection point? This is a point in which something that has existed for a period of time, in this case, we're talking about a good part of a decade, if not slightly longer, where we've seen underfeeding and tails re-enrichment feed the market with cheap uranium. That is inflecting, that is turning. There was a good interview that Harris Kupperman, also known as Cuppy, it's pretty prevalent on Twitter, just did with Michael Guyad, and uh, you can find that on YouTube. In fact, I will go ahead and link to that as well. And Cuppy talks about his style of investing and he, and, he, and he wraps it up kind of with the description of his investing as being an inflection investor. He likes to um, invest in, in, uh, in sectors that are inflecting, that are shifting. And you know, he's been looking, he's made a killing, uh, just absolutely crushed it with with uh, oil call spreads. Um, he's long uranium, long sput. And so we are in an inflection point right now, okay? Something that is, has existed for a very long time is inflecting, it is shifting. That is happening under our feet right at this very moment, and the utilities are trying to figure out how exactly they're going to do you know, purchase uranium going forward. Uh, this is a, a very big deal for the nuclear fuel cycle. Continuing on, enrichment prices will rise, and uranium demand will increase. Importantly, there are several components to the increase in uranium demand. One is the desire to substitute away from more expensive enrichment in the production of nuclear fuel. Another is inventory driven demand on the part of utilities seeking to hedge against higher prices and to ensure future supply availability. This will include enriched uranium as well. Still another is inventory buying on the part of investors who look to capitalize on uranium price increases. Okay, so this is important to understand. First of all, keep in mind, this is the uh, founder, owner, and chairman of UXC. This is the largest nuclear fuel consultancy, and they uh, they are the largest provider of nuclear fuel cycle information to utilities globally. Enrichment prices will rise and uranium demand will increase, okay? It's not mincing his words there, folks. Importantly, several components to increase. Okay, one, substitute away from more expensive enrichment in production of nuclear fuel. So if utility is covered in the next, let's say two three years, and the cost of enrichment is skyrocketing currently, especially spot enrichment and spot EUP. So if they were to actually go buy enrichment, they have some UF6 and they wanna go buy enrichment and they want it quickly, they're gonna to have to pay up for it, okay? But they can buy long-term enrichment at a lower price. And if they can buy uranium, by UF6, or in this case, since the UF6 market is so tight, buy U308, run it through the process in a reasonable timeframe, then they can contract for enrichment out three, four, five years in the future at lower prices than they would get on the spot enrichment market or the spot UP market. Okay, another is inventory driven demand. So what happens when utilities see a squeeze happening in the market, they see a concern about supply going out into the future, and they aren't already covered for that future period, then what they typically will do is overbuy. They will, they will purchase uranium greater than their needs. They will restock. Restocking cycle is part of a contracting cycle that we are just now starting. I mentioned on Friday, we're looking likely that this year we'll most likely breach 100 million pounds in U308 contracted. That'll be the first year of contracting of U308 since 2012. And we broke through hundred million pounds. All right. We're already at 70 and we're halfway through the year. So uh, utilities as part of this contracting cycle, as part of this tight uh, uh, market for UF6 and, and EUP and conversion and enrichment, utilities are going to restock inventories. They're going to bolster those inventories, which right now, they're not at emergency levels, okay, but they are at a historically low level. U.S. utilities are right around the two-year mark. E, uh, EU utilities are right around the three-year mark. Historically, that's on the low end, although it's not at emergency levels. But like I said, this is an inflection point. It doesn't mean uh, run around like your hair's on fire and panic. It means start to take action to uh, support the miners that need contracts at prices that work for them in order to bring that supply online because it's becoming more and more clear that supply is absolutely absolutely needed okay and then his last point of course is obvious to anyone who's been familiar with this channel inventory buying on the part of investors who look to capitalize on uranium price increases okay So that mostly is coming in the form of investors buying the Sput vehicle. Why? It's highly liquid. Sput, when they're at a premium to NAV, does go buy physical pounds in the market. So that'll most likely be the vehicle of choice for buying uranium by investors. The previous market, um, UPC didn't exist for the first couple of years of that market. And when they did, buying of that vehicle didn't exactly lead necessarily to buying of uranium. Sometimes it did. Um, If they were at a decent enough premium to NAV, then they could issue shares and buy uranium. But uh, in the previous market, uranium was held more by hedge funds. You actually had hedge funds coming in buying physical uranium. We started to see that at the beginning of last year. A lot of those hedge funds sold back to Sput once Sput really got rolling, got their ATM live. So uh, in my opinion, most of this is going to go through the Sput vehicle, but obviously, um, what have they purchased 37 million pounds since August of last year? So we're, we're coming up on a year. We've got five weeks until the year anniversary of the ATM for spot. And they're, they're holding more than 55, 56 million pounds. All right. Final words of, uh, of this article by Jeff Combs. There may be other demand drivers for higher uranium prices, especially the anticipation that Russia's invasion of Ukraine will result in a desire for more nuclear energy. But uranium demand associated with new nuclear capacity is further in the future. The exception to this would be reactor restarts or delays in announced shutdowns. While the demand effects discussed here are already taking place. Specifically, they relate to the impact that the invasion is having on nuclear fuel supplies, which are heavily impacted by enrichment supply availability. Okay, demand effects discussed here underfeeding excuse me overfeeding and uh the lack of tails re-enrichment by enrichers okay that's already taking place uranium demand associated with new capacities further in the future of course reactors that are set to come online um, you know i mean we're talking about major uh, build outs by china but china may uh be buying from well they're already buying a lot from Kazatomprom, kazakhstan but they might also buy excess uh, enriched material from Russia. Okay, so that demand um, is not really what we're talking about here. What he mentioned here, the exception to this reactor restarts, Japan, delays and announced shutdowns, Diablo Canyon. There's been plenty of others. There are likely to, to be plenty of others during this period of energy crises. While well, the demand effects here are already t- taking place. All right, final Uh, sentence of the article, the situation is even more complex than can be described in this brief article, but hopefully this highlights the uranium enrichment dynamics that are in play today. All right. So I just wanted to share that. I know I'm going really, really long here today. So um, if you're with me still, congratulations. I think that it's not only important to understand the dynamics of the fuel cycle when it comes to um, how enrichment has been purchased in the past in place of uranium and how the, uh, the the nuclear fuel consultants and folks like the guys from Segra, like myself, like um, a lot of other bright minds on Twitter that are talking about this are saying that demand for U-308 is coming. It's coming. And um, this is not, this situation is not going away in the short term. It's probably not going away in the midterm. And we're likely to see a continued bifurcated market between um, Russian supply and Western supply. And the bulk of the demand is in the West. So, this situation is setting up right now, which is why the UXCs and the trade techs of the world are uh, firing the warning shots to utilities right now. They're saying this is an inflection point. This gentleman um, is the, the chairman of UXC. Like I said, UXC uh, speaks to utilities, and they're saying, expect higher prices. The shift to demand for uranium is coming, it's coming, it's coming. Higher prices are coming, and they're saying that loud and clear. Okay, thanks for sticking with me. Um, Sorry to uh, be too much on the soapbox here, but I think these are really, really important elements to understand. Um, One thing I wanted to mention, uh, not only will I put the links to that article, and that uh, you should check out some of the other posts on that blog as well. Um, Also, the video, the interview with Cuppy, I think he makes some just interesting investing notes, and he does speak a bit about Uranium. Um, But we are going to be having our uh, Uranium Insider Pro uh, webinar for members next week. We haven't decided the date. We believe that will be next Thursday. Tentatively, um, we have uh, a very exciting new guest who will be joining us. And we're really, really looking forward to having this person's um, uh, presence during this webinar and um, his market intelligence and his insights into what he's seeing in the market, I think is going to be very, very valuable for um, Uranium Insider Pro members. So if you are a member, uh, we very much look forward to seeing you there next week. I will make further announcements on that when we nail down that date and time, but most likely that is looking like next Thursday, that will be July uh, 21st. And uh, either way, we'll be sending you an email bulletin to um, solidify that date and time if you are not a member, you're interested in joining us for this webinar, we do have quarterly options for members. You don't have to commit to a year. You can buy just a, a quarter uh, membership, which would be three months. We have three access to three of these members webinars, as well as all of the content we have ever created is immediately accessible to new members. And if you'd like to get a sample of the type of content we put out, previous month's newsletter, you can click the other link in the description and that will give you a download access to a previous month's newsletter. Feel free to hit us up if you have any questions about our service. These webinars are, in my opinion, a big value add for what we provide. And we go deep into the sector and try to get great guests on that uh, help us kind of uh, define the markets and understand really what's going on behind the, behind the curtain, really figure out how the sausage is made. And it's, it's crucial. It's crucial to understand these things to weather these types of markets and they continue to be volatile. So hope you're all hanging in there. Hope you enjoyed this. Uh, Thank you again. Appreciate your support for these 150 episodes. I wanted to give you something a little bit more in depth on this 150th, because I do appreciate each and every one of you. All right. Take care. I will see you again tomorrow. Cheers.